What up, guys and girls? It is Bobby. And Sean. Coming at you for this week's episode of the Cronus Cast. Uh, this week's episode, like all episodes, is brought to you guys by Paragon Recovery. Uh, use code Cronus for 15% off. And if you're military or first responder, contact them directly for an additional discount. Uh, you guys have heard it week after week. I have nothing but good things to say about uh, Paragon Recovery. You know, their, their sleep supplement has helped drastically improve my sleep. I wake up feeling refreshed and recovered. And then their anti-inflammatory supplement, their flame-off supplement, also very highly recommended. Uh, It helps me a lot with my inflammation and, you know, helping me feel not as painful the next day. Yeah, and speaking of painful the next day, you've been crushing the mileage. You did, what, 22 yesterday? That is correct. I did a 22-miler yesterday uh, on the gravel trails, which not my preferred... um, I guess surface to run on. So when we talk gravel, are we talking like hard pack or are we talking like big rocks, like tank trails? Uh, I think it's like a mixture of tank trails and like hard pack. So like there's a, it's like a good mixture between the two. So like towards the back half of the run, I was like running, like I was do, like doing this pretty much because my feet, uh, for those who can't see, I'm doing like a zigzag motion. I was pretty much just zigzagging down the road because my feet were getting destroyed by like these medium-sized to large-sized rocks um just like crushing my feet so my feet were super sore oh dude that sucks i there were some posts that i remember had like good running trails like carson has phenomenal trails where it's essentially just like hard-packed earth yeah uh hood did not have such good trails it was a lot of like big-ass rocks uh stewart stewart and and hunter were essentially just like concrete and then some trails that you could run on both posts but i think benning probably had the best trails that i've been on yeah uh, anywhere yeah because it's that super soft like sandy red dirt so it just like isn't destroying you but it's like you know kind of cushioning but it's not like super soft so you're not like dying running soft sand but yeah i was like the the trails out here aren't too bad it just depends on like how deep into the trails I go because some trails are like just like two lane for like two wheeled for like for like uh, Humvees or whatever, yeah. and it's just like the middle like the middle lane where there's no tires on it is just overgrown. So like half the time, half the day yesterday, I was just running in like grass. So like I've sh- like scratched all over my shins. Like my feet were just soaked. I have to start. I need to start bringing extra pairs of socks because like by like mile five or ten, my feet were soaked because uh, it was no, raining. Of course. That's a good point. Whenever I finish my brick workout days, I usually change my socks. And then one thing that I've like had to remind myself, because it's not just on rucking any longer, but putting on body glide for long runs, so as not to chafe. Um, I've got, uh, I like love running in Ranger panties, but like I don't know if I'd ran in longer shorts, I would have avoided some of the chafing, but the body glide stuff, like that, that's a lifesaver. I will say that uh, I have never had issues with chafing before. I think it's like Asian skin. My feet are also, it's just also weird, my skin. Because I don't really blister on my feet when I ruck. I think I'm only, I can count on like my hands, on like one hand, how many times I've had like feet blisters. And they're always from like jogging, not even rucking. Like I've never gotten blisters from rucking before. I've also only chafed like one time that I remember. That was at Rasp too, because it was so fucking humid. I was like, it's what sandy. is going? Yeah, I was like, what is going on? Why does my groin hurt so bad? And I was like, oh, it's because it's chafed. This is the first time in my life I've ever chafed. <laughs> when I was training up for RASP, 
I remember I would like my lower back would get chafed from running with like plate carriers or doing like ruck runs. I think I've only had two or three blisters in my entire life, and that's like running included. I've I've never had issues uh, rucking though with my feet. I've been really fortunate with that. I don't know if it's like because I just I'm really stubborn when it comes to my technique, and I'm just trying to like preserve my foot health every single time I strike the ground, or whether I just have weird feet. Yeah, I don't see another day either because, like, I never blister when I ruck, when I ruck, never have. Uh, I don't know if it's like a skin thing or just like maybe just my feet are super calloused. I don't know exactly what the the answer is, but you know, no complaints. Dude, I uh, took that bike ride up nine W. Uh, I'm eventually gonna do like a century ride up to West Point and back, but holy shit. I thought 9W was going to be, like, relatively flat because the last couple of weeks I've gotten off the GW Bridge. And I've gone, you know, 12, 15 miles up and back because leaving from Midtown Manhattan, it just adds miles anyway. And then this week I went up to Rockland State Park, and I once you hit, like, the Nyack, like, Alpine Basin town, whatever that is, it, it literally is, like, up and down and up and down and to the point where I would finish climbing a half mile three quarter long mile hill i'd get to the flat part and my legs would still be so tired i'd be like i think i'm still climbing i can't tell anymore and until i was going downhill when i was like okay i can be sure that i'm not on flat right now yeah that's kind of rough like i know the train up there and the train up there is uh not very conducive i mean it's great training but you're not gonna be exactly doing great uh heart rate training or heart uh zone training no it like my my heart rate was spiking up and down i was supposed to stay in like zone two but more so, I was trying to maintain just like a power output on the bike and then also keep in mind what my pace was. Because I'd like realistically to average between like 18 to like 21 miles an hour when I go on these long, comfortable rides where I just get into that zone. And there were times I was going uphill at like six miles an hour at like the highest gear, just pedaling my ass off as not to fall over and getting passed by some cars and you know people are just pretty rude i that's one thing that i still i i think i've bitched about it before on the podcast but if like you recognize someone's putting an effort on something whether it's running biking and like i'm not putting forth that effort i usually give them the right away so if i'm on a trail in, in central park and i know someone's about to fly by the road like i'll stop my workout and catch my breath to allow them to continue with whatever they're doing because it's clear that they're putting forth way more effort than I am for that given period. I just don't understand it. Like when people are flying by you in cars, it's like you couldn't wait three more seconds to pass me on this turn to make sure that there was not another car coming or you didn't have to lay on your horn that aggressively. It's just common courtesies I just don't get. Yeah, I like uh, that's one thing I'm super cognizant of um, when I'm like driving and there's a, and there's somebody's biking on the road is like to be I will definitely err on the side of like slowing down like making sure that I don't push them because you know the last thing I'm gonna do is fucking hit somebody when they're riding a bike. It's terrifying. I was going downhill in a couple places and it's like when I ride this route again, I'm gonna know exactly where the longer downhills are. But there's some downhills that you're like, you don't know if this is going to come up to a traffic light. And so for a car, it's easy to stop on a downhill. But if, you know, you're on a bike going 35 to 40 miles an hour, Ooh. just, you know, in that tuck, that's, I am terrified. Like, I, I've not been terrified by a lot in my life. I am terrified on this bike, just like 
I'm, I'm gripping both brakes and you're, you're supposed to like kind of tap the brake instead of like riding on the brake going down. I'm just like, I really hope this comes out to a flat spot or it doesn't like come up to an intersection where I've got to throw on the brakes because there's cars passing. It, it was uncomfortable, but you know, going back, I was like, all right, like it's relatively safe. The, the lights are pretty obvious now. And I think I'll have fun uh, just training, but eventually to, to get up to West Point and go back down to Manhattan. Yeah. That's a very long ride. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah, and I, again, I thought it was going to be for anyone that's got like Strava or like Map My Ride, any of these apps out there. People are always posting these photos of Nine W and like how beautiful it is next to the water, and it's misleading because that ride does not take you on that route. That's like the lower Palisades, you know, next to the Hudson. This like really nice, iconic little highway. Like that's the route these people take. If you're just on the highway, you're a good mile off the river i would say at all times you can catch glimpses of the hudson but at no point are you just like oh my god like look at the hudson i'm down at you know water level it's like no you're constantly about 150 to 500 feet above the water yeah you're just climbing the entire time bullshit it's a good ride good training though great training yeah great training great training although i kind of wish that there were more hills up at lewis uh so i could get some more training on like hills but then my 50 mile is pretty much flat the entire time, so I don't necessarily think I need to train hills or train like climbing, but just for like my own physical development, I feel like I should be doing more hill work. Have you been staying in like like that easy zone, or are you getting up to like the aerobic threshold area uh, on these really long runs? Uh, I take for the long runs, like my Saturday runs, I'm definitely in the easy like zone two, like high zone two, low zone three, like like 130s where I like to sit for my long runs. But then like for my weekly during the during my week, my training runs or whatever runs during the week, I just kind of run a certain pace and then just hold on for what pace that is. Cuz I generally speaking like no, it's kind of weird. Uh like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I ran the exact same route each day. And then Thursday and Friday were exactly the same pace and the exact same route. And then Friday I actually ran like 20 uh my heart rate was like 20 beats per minute slower than my Thursday run. But Friday, I was like significantly sore because uh, the gyms opened up at Lewis this past week. So I went like Wednesday, Thursday and then squatted and like did like leg stuff. So I was sore as fuck. But somehow when I ran on Friday, I ran better than I ran on Thursday when I was less sore. So I don't really understand. I had the same thing. I finished my bike on Friday, which is like my brick workout day. And yesterday went for my long run, and I felt like phenomenal. One, it's been the best weather New York's had now in like two plus months. It was seventy some degrees. It wasn't really humid. There was a great breeze um, that I was able to say like at about one hundred thirty-five beats per minute um, on the heart rate, and just cruising way more than I was cruising like you know a month and a half ago when I kind of started this. And I remember my zone two runs were you guys were making fun of me for how slow it was. I was like, what are you what are you walking? <laughs> for real though. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's just like very interesting how the body is responding to all the volume for me, especially for running. I actually wonder uh, if something else is going on with, with my body because uh, I don't know if you can hear right now, but I'm super congested. And I have been like super congested ever since we got out to Washington. Like my eczema on my elbows is breaking out. I don't know if you can see my, my right eye is swollen right now. Do you have like allergies? I don't know what it is. So like I've noticed that I have like 
lot more allergic or inflammation going on. So I don't know like what exactly is going on in my body. Um, I was thinking about maybe trying the carnivore diet if, uh, if it doesn't work out in another couple of weeks. I'm switching my diet up to a higher fat diet, uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, just cause I feel like I've, I'm just a fucking giant carb at this point. Yeah. Um, I, but I finished runs and I've been like smelling like ammonia. So like, I don't think I've been fueling like properly every single day before, uh, before some of these like really long workouts where I'm going for, you know, four to five hours. Well, the ammonia is pretty much just in ketosis essentially and burning, uh, burning proteins you're in ketosis yeah so that probably means you're not eating enough uh carbs if anything no but, yeah that's what it i'm sp- i'm supposed to be short on that but i think what a lot of it is too is like i'll take these uh like i've done a lot of fasted cardio and that's typically when i notice i like i come back and after i finish like cleaning up i'm like holy shit like this is my ranger school uniform um but then when i'll wake up earlier have like a pb and j or something like down a gatorade then i go on my run I don't smell like that or on my bike. I don't finish up like that. So it's like that initial fuel. Yeah. It's very interesting that you mentioned that. Cause, uh, I think there's good evidence that shows, you know, high fat diets can be beneficial for, uh, endurance athletes. Um, but I, yeah, I, I actually hate eating carbs. Like, uh, I, I, that's like one of my, I don't like eating a lot of carbs cause I think I don't, my body just doesn't do well with carbs. And, and like the simple sugars and the processed sugars definitely, I think, contribute a lot to my inflammation in my body. And I think there's like a, I think a direct correlation between uh, the the distance or the volume that I'm running and how allergic I am. So I wonder how much that is like intertwined. Like I'm sure all the running and the inflammation that I'm building from running isn't helping with my allergies as well. Yeah. So I think kind of curious to see maybe I should start switching up my diet you know, switching up to less carbs. Cause like on my runs, I eat like shit. I eat like PB and J. I have like oatmeal cream pies, like, you know, it's like bars. So I wonder if I should just switch it up and just go straight. Like a, almost like a high car or a high fat, low protein or low, uh, carb diet. And just see. I just got works. one of those like Osprey water backpack kind of things. Uh, it's great. Cause it only holds, I think like maybe two liters. And when it was so humid out, it was perfect. Uh, I've like tried a couple of varieties of goos, like the Gatorade goo is the easiest to go down. It's more liquid. What was that? What's the scientific term? Viscous. Is that a good? That's Yeah, that's a good term. Um, but then there's the company GU goo. Yeah. And it's like thick, man. Like I, like I, what I liked about the Gatorade is I could like down them and I wouldn't have to drink water immediately after the goos taste better. But like afterwards, I literally feel like I have wet peanut butter in my mouth and I have to drink. And it's like it's really annoying, especially because the bike is essentially one of the only times I really consume a lot of those at a time. And so trying to stay on the bike, balancing, like ripping a goo, eating the goo, you know, putting the trash back in the the top saddlebag. And then at the same time, trying to get under and get water. It's like that's like a couple minute process right there that I've just not figured out how to tweak. But it's like this is really inefficient. Because these goos, I almost feel like I should just put them right up against my body to try to warm them up. Because otherwise, it's just a, yeah. it's like trying to drink a gummy. Yeah. Personally, I, I'm not a huge fan of like the goos or like the gel packs. Because I, I have like the Honey Stinger ones, I've had the goo ones. I just don't really like them. I'll be honest. I I'd, would, I'd much rather would eat something. So like, that's why I like to bring a lot of snacks. So like I eat something. Yeah. Uh, I find that to be, for me personally, it feels better than, than sucking down a goo. 
Yeah, I think I might switch. I just want to try it up a couple times to see, like, like I'll bring a like a sandwich with me, and at like my turnaround, I'll I'll take a two minute break and eat the thing, and then jump yeah. back on the bike and get going. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying not to. I'm trying to figure out what that that good pattern is, like every hour to consume at least sixty. Yeah, it's like I don't. My body is also like super weird because I noticed like uh, on my like my long runs yesterday. I only ate like three snacks. I only ate a oatmeal cream pie, like a Nature Valley bar, and this PB and J, like Uncrustable, which is only a total of like seven hundred calories, maybe six hundred calories during my entire uh, like three and a half hour run, four hour run. But I felt fine. It's weird. Like I don't know. I haven't. I've never like felt that like bonking or like you know hitting that wall on my runs ever. No, I hit a wall on my run last week. And my run was like 10 to 15 seconds per mile slower than it was this week and a mile and a half shorter. Um, I think it, we, we were talking about it. it was just so humid and so uncomfortable. Yeah. And like I went through two liters of water yesterday. I didn't have a sip of any liquid whatsoever in that, you know, 140-ish, 100, yeah, about a 100-minute uh, run. It was just like whatever. Like yeah. I, I think a lot of it has to do with the weather. I got to, you know, just time that up. Yeah, it's super interesting. I'm trying to like dial in or figure out the nutrition, the hydration piece, but I'm still not very good at it yet. I got a buddy training up for a selection um, that because uh, the selection dates had been pushed because uh, of COVID. He started doing like a half marathon prep program. Um, and so he and I have been talking briefly, and I think it'd be really interesting to see how that pairs with the events at selection. Um because, like, I know guys that, like, didn't really do any rucking leading up to it and then passed. And, like, like I think, like, it's almost to each his own, uh, you know, how you make that course uh, a success for you. And so I think it's kind of cool that you could you could train for essentially half marathon, and, and that, that might be good. I think it's just all about that, that engine piece. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think for, like, most selections like that, especially for, like, SFAS, like, the rock, the star course is probably the most, uh, the more grueling portion of it from my understanding. Oh, you know, no, like, I'm talking about selection, selection. Oh, uh, like long walk selection. Yeah. Oh, fuck that. If I was doing long walk, I'd be doing like ultra prep. Yeah. I'd be doing that's ultra what, distance prep. I, I wouldn't yeah. be doing half marathon prep. No, he, he finished the, uh, I can't, what is it? Is Mountain Athlete the one that's been essentially been like the go-to, I feel like, for like the one that gets passed down to every single oh, yeah. like ranger that's trying it in that binder? Um, yeah, I think so. He ran through that one and then... Like he's just in that interim before he kind of starts it back up again and, and goes. I'd be interested to see how that that works out. I mean, there's a lot of guys that I know that are waiting for dates because, like, COVID really yeah, really awesome. screwed that up, which sucks because you know you you can plan that thing out really well, just like you know what you're doing with your your race date, you know, planning backwards, and then now it's like, you it's know, okay. you, we've got a lot of questions too, like preparing for ranger school where you've gone through a 12 week program and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I have this weird four week period. Like, what should I be doing? Yeah. I was just thinking like for the long walk, I would think I would train for an ultra, like ultra distances because from like, from my understanding, like the land nav that you do in the long walk is essentially like 18 to 20 mile days. So I would be doing, I would be, that's what I would be thinking about is like training at that ultra distance. And as a kind of a tangent, the other last week, I was kind of joking and thinking to myself, like, I should start, this is a good, this is great training for a long walk because I'm out on the trails. I'm essentially like orienteering. So I'm just running around on the trails and like 
finding not necessarily finding points but trying to stay oriented on the trails and like you know finding like setting boundaries and knowing roughly where i am on the map so i was joking to myself i was like oh maybe i should go do take the long look i mean that'd be an interesting that'd be an interesting progression in your entire career to <laughs> you know from west point to to that just to just to do i mean it's one of those things too we've i think we talked about it on one of the first uh podcasts about like being motivated and goal oriented and setting those goals like not just saying you're going to do something because others around you are saying it like you know you and i have committed to doing these endurance events we're going to follow through and do those events but like how many people we we know that said they were going to go to sfas go to rasp and then they never drop a packet or they drop a packet and make an excuse before they hear back and it's like you just have to i mean there's that cool meme like everyone wants to do cool shit until you actually have to get down to doing it yeah and it's just you, you just have to show up otherwise your your words are completely hollow yeah i think that's a good uh we could definitely talk about that a little bit more i think uh at a certain point there's like uh people like to talk about it and then there's a certain line that you know there's a difference between talking about it and being about it like and living that life because it's there's yeah. cause i know like plenty of times in the army like you know, guys are untapped. Like, oh, I had the opportunity to go to ranger school, but you know, my I wanted to go deploy, or I wanted to spend time with my family, or you know, all these myriad of excuses of why they never went. And then you know, they're always talking about, yeah, I had the opportunity. Like, I could have done it. You know, I definitely could have done it. I was like, I don't know, man. Like, you never went, so you can't say you could you could have done it if you never went. So it's just like, I think a lot of people live with regret uh, as they get older and realize, you know, they have these opportunities to do these really cool things or to really test themselves and uh, just have a a lot of regret and wish and then kind of um, kind of uh, put them or like what's the term like uh, where they like project themselves and project their uh, insecurities to other people. Yeah, Um, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, too, again, where, you know, guys are just taking a shit on people in, in the soft branches, uh, for, you know, doing something or, um, I think like, you know, Nick bear was getting shit on, uh, because, you know, he's got his Ranger tab on a lot of his posts, whether he's doing Murph or, you know, his company and guys like inherently just wanted to be mean. It's like, you know what, that the dude was an infantry officer, like, he had an opportunity if he wanted to, where he could have gone to SFAS, could have gone to, to Ranger Regiment. You know, he, you know, not everyone, and, and we'll talk about it here in a second. You know, you don't really get to pick your first duty station, and he, he got unlucky and got at Hood. You know, I've been there, and I'll talk about it. Um, and then he got out and he started a company, and it's like, and his company has been incredibly successful. But you know, people were just crushing him for for being proud to be a Ranger graduate. It's like guys like just because someone's successful like there's a ton of guys that aren't successful you know he's just the one that made it and like there's no reason especially for the guys that like don't have a ranger tab that shit on them for having it like that's the worst part it's like i guarantee you 90 percent of the negative comments that he ever gets are from people that didn't have the balls to go to that school or failed that school within the first two days and it's like just keep your mouth shut you have no business talking to, to anyone about that program or about Ranger graduates until you go get your tab. And then then if you want to put them in a body bag, you do it. Like, you've got some clout that you can stand, you know, on top of. But just to shit on someone for shitting on someone just for going and trying to do and be better is, is I think, is the most pathetic thing that you can possibly do as a human being. 
Yeah, I think a lot of that is just like just straight up jealousy because like, we were just saying about like I was saying about how you know you get that projection of like your insecurities or your faults and like you are angry at yourself or kind of disappointed with yourself for not doing these things and then you just project these feelings of inadequacy to other people uh, yeah. which I think is pretty pretty common just not in the military but just you know around the like that's human nature to do that yeah well so uh so we're going to talk about it today we're going to do a little bit of uh background in, into what it's like to be a, a ranger platoon leader um bobby's going to be able to help out to being you know the fire support officer for a company and, and seeing what the platoon leaders did around him uh we'll preface this episode with like i'm not talking about anything that's going to violate opsec or violate anything that you know we essentially promise not to divulge it's going to be pretty bland and basic and i think what you'll probably find is a lot of the things that you do in the ranger regiment are going to be exactly what you did in the regular army but just like we're just going to turn that dial just a little bit up for the intensity and for the you know breadth of training um but being a pl in ranger regiment you know was the highlight of my military career um it kind of split the middle as far as uh how many years i had in and, and then when i left and so uh i would say that the conventional time in my army uh bookended you know what was just an incredible experience uh with an incredible group of people and you know what i think is the most elite organization in the world um i mentioned fort hood that's where i started i was a mechanized platoon leader I was lucky enough, though, that when I got there, I got a platoon pretty quickly, and within two weeks of me signing for, I think I had eight Bradleys, uh, I turned them all over. I didn't have to have a single Bradley because we were gearing up for uh, deployment to Afghanistan, uh, so we had to get ready with you know the, the Matt Vs, the MRAP variations. Uh, during that deployment, I found out I was a year group 12 instead of year group 11 infantry officer. I'd already gone through all of these steps to drop an SFAS packet. Midway through the deployment, got notified that, like, no, we'll have to drop your packet to the next year group because um, you're three days into year group 12. Uh, got back from that deployment, was like, all right, like, I'll, I'll essentially have to wait about nine months before I can go to SFAS. Uh, that's where I found out that uh, I was moved into an XO's position and then uh, was told that we were going to Korea. And I was like, there's no fucking way I'm going to Korea to do mechanized training. Like, I don't want to sit in a Bradley. I dislike motor pools. Like, I was angry that I got Fort Hood as a first duty station but I'm going to make the best of it. But I, I refuse now having done essentially like a light rotation to go back to heavy like that, you know, especially too when I'm going to get my next duty station as a captain for command, I'm now going to be able to go light. So I'm just going to stay like light as long as I can. So I talked to my company commander. Um, and one of the great things that you should really look into if you are a platoon leader thinking about going to Ranger Regiment is I guarantee you that your company commander or a company commander within your battalion knows a captain, branch qualified captain at the Ranger Regiment, uh, who can 
get you in touch as a platoon leader with an S1 at one of the battalions, uh, at least put you in contact with the 75th Ranger Regiment recruiting officer um, and start that dialogue. And so he and I sat down and talked about it. And I talked to one of my mentors who was a major at the time that spent time in SF and Ranger Regiment. He was like, you want to go to the Ranger Regiment? Um, and so I dropped a packet for RASP-2, was fortunate enough that that packet got picked up by 1st Battalion, uh, went through RASP-2, um, and then that's where I met Bobby, and then the shortly thereafter, uh, pcs uh, to Hunter Army Airfield. Um, Let me uh, stop you right there, and then just kind of um, bring up some good points that you talk about in your kind of journey. So you mentioned that you got you know, Fort Hood as your first duty assignment. And you said that you're pissed and angry that you got yeah. Fort Hood. But then, you know, I think that's a very common challenge that a lot of people face is that they don't necessarily get dealt the greatest set of hand or greatest hand of car or greatest set of cards, you know, yeah. where they get signed with a duty station, what branch they get, you know, their NCOs, the unit that they get. But like what you're saying is that uh, despite being pissed or angry that you got assigned to first cav like probably like one of your least desired duty stations i still were able to overcome those odds and kind of deal with the shitty hand that you're dealt and still get to you know drop a packet for sfas and then find out that that wasn't going to work out and then you didn't like take that to heart and just like say oh fuck it i gave up you know and then you took that opportunity to you know drop your ras packet which ended up going through but I think that's a great point to highlight is that, you know, it doesn't really matter where you go. And somebody asked us about it earlier in a Q&A this week about not knowing what to do with their life. But when you get, like, dealt a shitty hand of cards, like, do you, you know, lie down and take it and just, like, say, oh, woe is me and, like, never put the effort in to become the best, you know, PL you could be or whatever it is you could be. But you instead took that opportunity to become the best pl that you could be the best pl probably in your battalion because you know how many you know how many ranger qualified pl infantry pls are there in your battalion in fort hood so first of all you like did that and then you kept working at it and then eventually you know distinguish yourself amongst your peers by being one of the best in your battalion to one drop a packet for sfas not get that approved and then you know be one of the best in your battalion to get drop a packet for rasp too and then get that approved because you know it's very uncommon to be able to even drop. I would say it's not very common to be able to even drop a packet for RASP two because your battalion commander, you know, isn't gonna isn't gonna sign off on that forty one eighty seven unless you're you know a stud. And that was uh, that was really challenging. Um, and what you know it was really unique. I would say coming from a mech unit because I would say the majority of officers that end up at the range regiment are coming from your eighty seconds, hundred and first, tenth mountain. Um, and you get some guys coming to from the 25th, but it, it's like a, there's a huge disparity in the mechanized uh, representation at these units. Uh, within our brigade, at least in the couple months where I was dropping the packet and then when you get to RASP2 and you're meeting like other lieutenants that are, you know, uh, competing for a slot, there were only two guys that I know that were from 1st Cav uh, that had gotten picked up. Uh, and that other dude was another PL with me in my company within the same battalion. Uh, he moved mid-deployment to take over the scout platoon. And it was just, like, really unique. So I think, you know, my, my company commander 
uh, did a pretty good job ensuring that we were taking on like the appropriate level of responsibilities on our deployment in Afghanistan. He was allowing us, you know, a lot of planning freedom um, and, you know, freedom of movement in our operations, you know, going 90K plus out from the FOB that we were operating out of and doing some pretty cool things. And uh, so I think it was like really cool to compete against somebody like that. You know, you surround yourself with one, your peers, but two people that motivate you and push you. Um, it's like something that, you know, I really liked when I first met Bobby. I was like, oh, like he's going to call me a bitch because he knows I'm not putting forth effort on this exercise and like vice versa because we're going to hold each other accountable. And I think that was really important. I don't know if I had had him to like kind of look up to um, when I was at first Cav, I would have been as motivated to continuously improve myself as a leader and to really see like, you know, I learned a lot from him, how he engaged with his soldiers and his NCOs. And I was like, okay, I need to be just like John, like John's the best officer I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to continue to try to shadow this guy and like, just try to do what he does. If I can get 10% of that, then I've improved myself. But yeah, I think that's very important. You saying that because it's like, you are kind of setting the conditions for your own career and your own life. Cause I think a lot of people, you know, kind of just say like, oh, I have no control over this or I have no, you know, say in what goes on in my career. But I mean, you definitely have a say and an influence on what goes on because, you know, your your company commander wouldn't give you that much trust or faith in you if you, one, you know, weren't a high performer or weren't, you know, able or he didn't perceive that you're able to accept those responsibilities, you know. If you're a shitbag, your commander is obviously not going to give you these responsibilities to, you know, yeah. go farther or do all these things. But he trusted you because you you know, we're a high performing individual because you, you know, rose up to the challenge and proved yourself as high performing individual. So the guys that like get these shitty assignments or whatever, you know, a lot of the time they kind of just fall to the standard and don't raise above or rise above the standard, you know, and raise to the challenge and kind of fall to like a lower threshold uh, that the unit set. So I think that's the first point that I think I want to stress to everybody that's listening is that, you know, you really should put as much effort as you can into being the best version of yourself as you can be because you never know what doors open and what you know what opportunities will, pre- will present themselves to you in your future career but by, but by you know setting yourself apart from your peers you know being rising above the standard you know being the best you know whatever it is that you can be it's going to open doors for you that you'd never know existed no and that's exactly right it was like just you know keep keep trying to get better each and every day Uh, I I think the thing that I was really frustrated about when I got hood was twofold. It was one, I don't want to sit in a Bradley. Like I hate the smell of diesel. I, you know, generally thought that it was going to be a less fit, uh, physically fit uh, organization, which I was not wrong about. But two, it was like a very armor proud, armor centric unit. And when you're trying to get a 4187, like both my battalion commanders were armor officers, no tabs. Um, I think maybe one had a cab and I think maybe one was air assault qualified. And like, that was the extent of their experiences and, uh, trying to tell a battalion commander, especially when they're newer, that you want to leave their organization to go do something else. It's like you're shooting yourself in the foot with an OER. Like if you haven't already gotten your OER from the one battalion commander and you're waiting for the next one to sign it, looking out for his, you know, amount of top blocks that he can get out, he can go, oh, I'm not giving a top block to this dude. He doesn't have any esprit de corps because he doesn't want to stay at 1-8 cav. 
which is just like some of the worst officering ship like I can imagine like if you have a high performer and that dude's crushing it that dude gets a top block if that dude wants to leave this organization and I can tell my you know my commander that brigade commander that hey I've got like a couple guys going to Ranger Regiment like granted yes you might be losing some talent you know compared to what the the general pool that was available is but at the same time that person is going and trying to do something with their career that they're like striving to do and it's just I think it's awful when people, you know, use that and put that over someone's head. Like, if you leave, I'm going to give you, you know, a center block, you know, because that that and so that that was what I knew going into hood was going to be a likelihood, whether I wanted to go SFAS uh, or then subsequently go to to Ranger Regiment, because you're just going to have some really bitter people that are going to judge you for wanting to do something different than they did. And, you know, they can slam you on your OER and then, you know, it. If you, if you weren't successful, then you're kind of screwed at that point trying to get another nominative position. Yeah, I will say that I have never gotten a top block on OER before. Uh, that might just be a, you know, a portion because I was always an FSO. So I was competing with, you know, the armor or infantry guys for the top block. So obviously I'm probably not going to get that top block. But uh, I don't think it matters either at the end of the day. <laughs> No, it, it, they can write bullets, and I, I think OERs are so shit now because, like, you know, at Carson, they, the at least a brigade commander that I had would save his top blocks for, like, the second-time company yeah, commanders second time. so that they would get, you know, a look for in their primary zone for major. And it's like, no, this dude was an awful company commander. He was an awful staff officer. We don't have enough captains, so you're going to give him an HHC command. He's untabbed, no CIB, like failed every selection in school he's gone to, but oh, we have to look out so that he can get promoted to major. It's like, no, that's like the quality control aspect. Like you could have helped the army out by getting rid of this guy. But that that's like a whole different story with the evaluations we can talk about. But so um, immediately things that I noticed as soon as I got to Ranger Regiment that were 180 degrees different than the regular army, the amount of responsibility that I had as a junior officer seemed to increase. Uh, The seriousness behind the training and the attention to detail was significantly higher. And like I had issues where, you know, my attention to detail on a a, a report that I'd written was not to where it should have been. And I had a company commander and it's like, I've never been chewed out so calmly and so professionally by someone that has left me so fucked up afterwards where it was like, hey, they hired you for a reason. This is not the standard that, you know, we expected of you. If this is what we're supposed to expect from here on out, I assure you, you won't be a platoon leader and you won't be here for very long. And I was like, oh, like, dear God. Oh, sorry. I would, and never made that mistake again. Like every other time, like I would read these reports 10 times over before I pushed send as like a, an intro. But the, the, the Rangers, uh, the Ranger NCOs that were there were like going 100 miles an hour in so many different directions. I would say being a platoon leader in the Ranger Regiment felt more like being a company commander in the regular army uh, because it wasn't like, you know, your uh, company was just doing one task. Within your platoon, each squad was doing something wholly unique to that squad for that week. Uh, You know, you had multiple ranges, it seemed like, almost every single week where squads were going after and getting training. All the... Uh, weapons that you know the conventional army didn't have 
the Rangers are getting, you know, specialized training on uh, the the airborne proficiencies, the demolitions proficiencies, the medical proficiencies, which is just like off the chart. And the amount of training that like these enablers within the Ranger Regiment had to really go and just promulgate their lessons across the entire formation was like mind blowing. So immediately it was like, here's the fire hose, open your mouth and just take it and see how much you can ingest before you explode. Yeah. Now I would 100% agree with that. Like, um, I was always extremely impressed by the Ranger NCO because it's pretty much essentially from like a team leader and above. Like, I would essentially like think of a just give an extra like uh, grade above that. So like any E4, E5, and regiment that's tabs as the team leader level can be a squad leader or higher in the big army just like that. Like instantly could become a big like a big army squad leader, and like instantly give them up an extra grade because. Just the level of proficiency, the leadership, the just everything about the Ranger NCO was like instantly like a grade elevated in the big army, and it was insane just the level of competency that these guys had. Because I mean, you're you're like your junior, your E4 that just got his tab, like that team leader. You think about it realistically, that dude has already had like two or three combat deployments in Afghanistan or Iraq. He's done multiple rotations, and then. You know, people, like, a lot of the meme pages, like, they shit on, like, the 82nd, but it's really true. Like, the Ranger Regiment, like, they deploy every year to combat every year. They do missions every year. They go out and, you know, you know, fight and do battle and, and you know, kill bad guys every every deployment. So, it's just, like, there is a huge nine-day difference that I saw coming from Big Army to Ranger Regiment. And that, I think, contributes to it. But then just a the level of maturity as well because... Um, the guys that can make it to team leader and above, you know, they survived being a private. And I would say that being a private in Ranger Regiment is probably probably one of the most stressful jobs they can get anywhere in the military. Oh, it's it's unreal. Like, uh, I tried to make it an effort that, you know, like, as fast as you can to learn every single Ranger's name in your formation, to learn, you know, which ones were getting ready to go to school, um, and so you really could see from the very beginning how the squad leaders and team leaders were preparing like, hey, that that ranger that was definitely going to get a slot the next month compared to the ranger that just showed up. And it's like, OK, we're going to have to make sure that one after graduating RAS where we had some ranger NCOs, you know, say and certify you as, yes, this guy is ready to serve. It's like, well, no, I want my own certification process. Like I have a buddy that might be a RAS one cadre, but I trust him. I'm going to put them through my own crucible real quick to make sure that they're physically fit, mentally fit, and, you know, they're motivated to be here. And I'm not talking like a hazing-like experience, but, like, and, and why we talk cardio is so important, but these, like, brand-new rangers to the platoons ran so much. I mean, they were running everywhere. There wasn't a single place that they would go where they were walking. Um, they were showing up on time. You know, like in the regular army, I had soldiers show up late to PT formations. And, you know, you go up to their team leader and squad and you're like, hey, fix that. Like, that is unacceptable. We have to report to the first sergeant. I don't think I ever had a ranger show up late to a single formation, not once. And if they were sick, they were there like half an hour earlier. So my day as a ranger PL would start about 545 to 6 o'clock showing up at the office if it was a week where we were just staying at garrison, either preparing to go and do like an airborne operation the next week or go to some company or battalion level training, your your squads are still getting after it. And it's it's great because during PT, there wasn't a single squad or a single time I had to worry about people not doing the right thing. 
You know, in the big army, I had to check over the PT plans. None of them were ever planned out more than like a day. Um, nobody put any thought into the methodology behind their programming. But when you got to Ranger Regiment, every single squad leader could point like, hey, this is the progression. And it wasn't like this is the progression so that my guys are jacked when we put on our cry. We're just going to go and just tear shit up at TFT. It was like, no, I have, you know, nine guys in my squad. I have four tabs. I need my five other tab, non-tab rangers to get to school. So this is how we're doing a ranger school progression. And then on top of that, this is how we are doing a deployment rotation uh, training progression so that they're comfortable under kit for hours on end. And it was like, it was unreal. I never had, and you could always jump down with them and do some great PT. There wasn't a single time I went, you know, if I jumped down and I, they, you know, I knew one of the teams was doing a five mile run. I loved it because not only was that team leader trying to get his Rangers better, that team leader was like, I'm going to fuck the PL up. I am going to run this as fast as humanly possible. I might lose some of my Rangers and I'll smoke them later for dropping out before the PL, but I'm going to fucking drop the PL as fast as I can. And it was like, thankfully, I showed up in good cardio shape and that never happened. But there were a couple team leaders I had that I was like, if I know they're doing a five mile, I'm not showing up. That dude will, he, he runs a sub 30 minute five mile. I'm, I'm not competing with that. He's got the fastest RPAT time in battalion. I'm not competing with that. I'll go I'll go drop with one of the other squads that's doing some like functional fitness type stuff. I, I trust this guy. Um, so like right off at the very beginning and every morning you're doing the Ranger Creed and it's just like it's so motivating to stand out in a formation and you hear like a company do it. Then your company's doing it and everyone is just so proud. You know, and then they play like the three ID song. And everyone's like, what the fuck is this? Like, you know, after you salute the flag and you're just waiting for that thing to shut off just so you can do the, the Ranger Creed. And it's like the most motivating thing before you step off and you do PT. It's like, this is what it's all for. Like the generations of Rangers who have come before me, if you spend 24 hours in that organization, like do something in that 24 hours to make it better. It's like every day I felt like you were competing for that slot. It was never just a, ah, well that PL is a piece of shit. So I'm safe for it. It was like, he's pretty good. Oh, he just left. Oh, uh, I need to find out what I need to do better today. And like, that was every single day, just almost living in fear. Yeah. I was like, uh, I always enjoyed, um, uh, I bring up a story of my first, uh, uh, counseling by company commander about earning it every day. And that's kind of where the hashtag earn it comes from that we talk about, but basically like you have to earn the right to wear that tambourine. You have to earn the yeah. right to wear that scroll every day. And it's not, it's not just showing up and just, you know, saying that you, you get to put it on, but you have to earn the right to, to put that shit on. Yeah. And I would say too, uh, being in the range regiment is way more humbling when it comes to your individual soldiering skills or your individual rangering skills. Because in the big army, you know, like I got pretty good with my radios, um, whether it was the Embitter, uh, the ASIP, or uh, the 152, like you get comfortable with knowing how to programming and fill them. You know, you get comfortable on your weapon system and, and going through basic trauma care. When I got to the regiment and like we'd go to a range, I was like the last guy to qualify expert. Every single ranger has to qualify expert, like at every level. So, like, you know, I'm shooting like 36, 36, 37, 37. It's like, I just need this 38. And it was like, you have to show up each and every day in like medical training. And, you know, I'm coming from a mechanized unit and we're going and doing these jumps. I, I've got like team leaders that are now uh, uh, jump masters. 
you know, just graduating Jumpmaster School, and I, you know, all my squad leaders are getting their senior wings, and it's like that. It's like it's really motivating to see how long they've been there and how much they're doing. But like, I'm sitting there as a platoon leader, thinking, shit, like, I wish I could go JMPI my Rangers and like be a part of this. And instead, like, I'm sitting on my pack, you know, waiting to stand up and, you know bend over and like, you know, get all the, get all the, the, the pieces checked by, you know, some E5 and E6 that you're like, God, I, I want to be helping you out here. I feel like a total turd as a Lieutenant just sitting here waiting like that, that, and that was the worst feeling. So it was like, whenever you had an opportunity to go and learn something, whether it was, you know, medical training from your medic or learning some of the, the incredible communications equipment that you've got, you know, like that's what I was doing when I had free time, just so you could speak intelligently about it so that you didn't look like the most ate up dude in your platoon. Yeah. I would say that there's a lot more, um, independence. Maybe they give you a lot more rope to have some freedom to do what you think is appropriate. But that being said, you know, there's a lot more ropes that you can definitely hang uh, yourself with that rope too. There are times when I did that for uh, sure as an FSO definitely like, uh, did not, uh, Definitely hug myself a couple of times, but that way. Well, I, <laughs> there was a, you know, I talk about like what it was like with, with training um, and why being a platoon leader was almost like being a company commander because you'd have a single week where like, you know, the platoon might be running a shoot house, but then they're also going and doing, you know, like uh, a team certification somewhere that you're jumping down and doubling down on and helping out with another platoon. Or you might have guys going and doing like a, a KD range, you know, when you have your, your condensed collective training cycle. Um, and the company commanders are giving you a lot of freedom to say, hey, come up with a 16-week training program for the platoons that we'll implement uh, in the next cycle, in the next jorts. And you're like, okay, great. Like, I'm going to get after it. And like you sit down with all of your squad leaders and unlike in the regular army where you could sit down and be like, okay, like we're mechanized, we need to go and be, you know, proficient on this table, or we need to go and get this digital trainer knocked out. And, oh, we have to get guys, their dental and their vision and stuff like their purse stats all maxed out. The feedback that I got from the squad leaders was so much more focused on what the platoon really needed to improve on and no one was sugarcoating it was like hey i've got guys that are good with medical training but we need a couple that are dynamite when it comes to doing this new technique and you're like okay like let's schedule a time we can get you know all of the battalion medics down here to to do like some collective training with everyone and see what we can do or let's get your guys to go uh and take this like combative different course because they're going to come back and we're expecting them to teach it so i got like the, the phrase candid and honest feedback uh, was something that I really appreciated because like if if you fucked up, like your squad leaders would be the first to be like, sir, that was fucked up. Or your platoon sergeant would pull you inside and be like, hey, the squad leaders are pissed. They're going to come talk to you, but you fucked up. And you're like, no shit. Like, yeah, let me figure out like what I did to step on their toes so that doesn't happen again. And like it wasn't like it was never – um, from a bad place. It was just like, hey, this is how it's done in the Ranger Regiment. This is how we need to do it because, like, at the end of the day, officers come every couple of years. We're going to stay here for a number of years before we go to another battalion. So it needs to be perfect every time because that's how we get, you know, graded. It's like the, the, the significance of the words was just, like, so, so lasting on me. So to the point where I'd go when I went to the regular Army and I was a junior captain – I would speak in the exact same way with the uh, same amount of respect, 
and professionalism. And I was shocked how many majors, lieutenant colonels, colonels were just like, I can't believe he's talking to me like this. It's like, I'm talking to you like an adult, like your training plan is horseshit. Like, this is why I'm not coming to you with a problem. I'm coming to you with a list of solutions, pick one, but don't waste my time if you're just going to write me off kind of thing. And it was like, you know, I, I appreciated that kind of, cause it wasn't just leadership. It was like, everyone had this buy-in to the platoon, uh, and the Ranger regiment and to that company and to that battalion's mission way more so than people did in the regular army. The regular army would be like, nah, I like my company enough. I fucking hate this battalion. The dudes in the Ranger regiment were like, I love my company. I love my battalion. I love the Ranger Regiment. Fuck everyone else. Like, I'm going to do stuff to make Rangers successful. And it was like the esprit de corps was off the charts. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's one thing that I think the, reg- the Regiment has that no no other unit has in the, in the military is the RFS. And I think that's how Regiment is able to maintain such a high level of, um, of everything because uh, high standards. Because, you know, once you have that threat of le- getting literally kicked out of the organization for not holding up the standard like there's so much more pressure on you know upholding the standard and i think that's what makes regiment so unique and that's why it has such a high standard and is able to uphold that high standard because you know you hear stories of like sf dudes that like, get fat once they get to their teams like stop caring once they you know make it to their teams like if a ranger nco gets their tab and stops giving a shit they just get kicked the fuck out like they lose that tambourine for the and then never come back you know so it's just yeah. like but it's, it's and, just, it, and you're constantly reevaluated. It's like, oh, you know, you're now uh, an E6. You want to be a platoon sergeant. We're going to send you back to RASP too. Oh, you've just finished platoon sergeant time. You want to be a first sergeant. You're going to RASP too. Like every single rank that these individuals are promoted through, they're being reevaluated. As an officer, you want to go there. You're hitting RASP too every single time. You want to go back. I think maybe save for. Uh, when you go back as a major, then they do like a, a condensed version while you're at ILE and for battalion commanders. But at that point, it's usually that's not your first rodeo there anyway. And so you at least have some history that you can point to. It's like, all right, wait, we know this guy meets the standard and, and this is going to be a great addition to the organization. So I don't know a single unit out there that is constantly assessing its members uh, to like keep up that intensity because like you said like you can't take your foot off the pedal yeah it's partially because there's always somebody behind you that can take your job over just like that like instantly can take your job over like as an officer there's always that pll or that you know that lieutenant on staff that can just take that job over you know that one time that you fuck up and then your battalion commander's like said you're done and you get picked up by the black helicopters the black uh blackhawks at night and you're never seen from again because that happens and like uh I think people don't appreciate the fact that there's always somebody behind you or somebody that's in the background that can take your job instantly. Dude, I, I like, I was really fortunate. Um, my company, I had been doing well through the training cycle and we got picked to be the deploying company and everyone was like, like that is just another, that's another round of, of, of pressure that you don't expect because, you know, like I would say, I thought of myself as being like a pretty average platoon leader. I, there were guys in my battalion, and then again, uh, my buddy John that was in another battalion, like I looked up to like, that dude is doing it. I want to emulate this person. Um, and then so all of a sudden, when you get picked to be the rotating unit, it's like, hold, like, did I deserve this? Do I deserve this? Because no matter how close of friends you are with every single one of the platoon leaders, 
like everybody wants to be the platoon leader that gets to say they deployed with a platoon, you know, in the range regiment to Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria. Like that is just, it's such a unique experience. There's not a lot of opportunities to do that. You know, I've got friends that for, you know, there for two and a half years, never once got to deploy as a platoon leader or XO. It's just like, that's the way that the, the cookie crumbles. And so after we get pegged to be the deploying company, we went to TFT and like, First mission that we had, platoon rocked it. Did a phenomenal job. Second mission that we did, like I put myself in a position where I thought I could best like help orchestrate the you know external fight and monitor the internal fight because that's just one of those relationships that you'll develop when you get there with your platoon sergeant, um, you know the subject matter expert. And it was just the pace was just not. It was not going as quickly as was the expectation. Like, you know, you're usually doing an operation under a period of darkness and like the expectation is you're in and you're out. And we were just going like a hair slower. We got indexed. Like it was to this day, like people wake up and say they have like nightmares of exams when they were in college uh, or they have, you know, like these random tests. Like I still get anxiety from thinking about being indexed on a lane, knowing that we were the rotating unit and going like, I apologized to the platoon afterwards. I was like, I fully expected I'm being fired. I'm done. Like you make one mistake, you're out. And especially if you're the rotating, you know, units like, all right, well, we've got a ton of companies, one that just got back a couple months ago, let's just send them again. Like, you know, and did I now just take an opportunity away from my Rangers? And, you know, it was, that was like one of those things. It's like, we talk about if you make a mistake once, learn from it, don't make it again. And so that's like been my personal motto when I mess up. And fortunate enough, uh, the battalion commander's like, no, we still got confidence. You know, we're going to, you guys are going to go do more missions now to, to show us like that this was a one-time fluke. The next day we went out, absolutely destroyed the mission. We had so many variables thrown at us because they're like, all right, they, they were too slow. I, I want to throw the whole like kitchen sink at them and let's see if it's really like an issue with the leadership or like they're just not ready and we crushed it and like i was incredibly proud of the platoon and the rangers like that was the the standard that we had set the entire training cycle but we get back and now you know you've got rumors going through the battalion within the the officer side like hey somebody fucked up on tft do we know who it was oh are they gone are they still a platoon leader oh wait, they're going to Afghanistan? No, he's not going to be able to. It's like, and so it was like, like there's a, there's a toxic element that's, you know, within the battalions that's, you know, you've also got to be aware of it's everyone is a type a super competitive. You know, if I wasn't the deploying unit and I knew a company was going and like a platoon leader was like just a hair slow on something or the platoon didn't perform at like the hundred percent level, everyone, I totally get it. Would be making the argument. No, they shouldn't go to Afghanistan. They're not perfect. And like that is something like you have to live with knowing that it's no matter how friendly again you get with your peers, everyone wants that slot. And, you know, so then when I was a platoon in Afghanistan, it was like you have to even there. Then it was like, like, this is the real deal. You have to perform like you meet these challenges that are way different from training and you have to be able to overcome them. And it was a. I mean, it was an incredible experience, but I like to this day, I'm like a full grown man. I still look back on it. I'm like, I never want to hear those words over the radio ever again. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's such a great point to make. It's just that it's such a type a organization that you're just competing every day to be that number one. And that, and then it's just like, you never, you probably won't ever be that number one too. And it's like knowing that now you're never going to be the best one is kind of humbling. And I think that was, um, from my from my 
experience in my life, being a regiment was transformative and, and, and really humbling me in my, um, kind of self evaluations because I've, I've always been like the number one guy at pretty much, or one of the top guys or whatever I was doing. And then when I got the regiment, I was no longer the top guy and I was like barely the average. <laughs> yeah. And, and so the, the other platoon leader, uh, that was, you know, part of our, um, de- deploying element on the missions, uh, that dude ended up getting a top block. He was a phenomenal platoon leader. He had a phenomenal platoon. Um, I did, I did not get a top block just for everyone's essay. Uh, you know, and again, that was when I got to Ranger Regiment, that was the first time I like honestly did not care about my evaluation because it was one of those experiences that like so few people in the army are going to get to have. Um, so long as you take those lessons from the 75th Ranger Regiment. And like when I left, I totally had the intentions that when I take a company, I'm going to try to mirror what this company um, did in 175 and just try to make it incrementally better every single day. You know, that's that's what I looked at Ranger Regiment like was like the Abrams Charter means something. Um, you know, this idea that you can leave the Ranger Regiment and bring just a little bit from it and get these, you know, NCOs throughout the force uh, in between their next, you know, um, that next level, I think is incredible. I think it really makes the Army a better fighting organization. Uh, but it's just, like, while you're there, I, I don't think there was a single day where I was, like, calm. It was just, like, this is a lot of stress that you just want to perform each and every day. And to the point, though, then when you get to the regular Army and it slows down, it gets really aggravating. Like, I hate being here. I hate this unit. They're so slow. Um, they're not getting it done. They don't take it seriously. Like guys are fine with being mediocre. And it's like, I, I went through a really negative time when I was at M triple C and when I first got to four ID, cause I just could not fathom people not taking the, the professional organization uh, for what it was and just, they were just whatever. I'm just here. I'm filling a role. It's like that. I can't stand this attitude. Yeah. Cause like, even though you're a middle block and Ranger regiment where it means that you're like average, uh, being average in Ranger regiment still means you're like a nine ninth percentile in the army. Yeah. I mean like in triple C all like, let's see the other, the other PL uh, that was with me, he was the honor grad of his triple C class. Um, I think I finished like 10th out of like 170 something, uh, dudes for mine. Um, another buddy was the honor grad. I mean, like the, the guys coming out of range regiment and it's like I said too, like when you're a PL and you feel like you're almost like a company commander, it's because, you know, at a single time when you're going out for training, not only are you going to have a number of enablers that a company in the regular army would be fortunate enough to have, uh, you're going to have fire support that a battalion in the regular army might be fortunate enough to have. And again, not getting into too much detail, but like just think of everything that you get to play with in a call of duty game that you're just hoping to pick up that box. You know, when you push that X button and open it up, like that's each and every day, you know, your platoon is playing with, you know, at least a couple uh, aerial platforms, probably some like organic fire support, uh, within your formation and then something on standby that they can just swoop right in and like the entire training time before you get an opportunity to deploy, they're just constantly increasing the amount of responsibility you have as a platoon leader talking with, you know, your, your fires NCO and just walking and synchronizing these fires to the point where I got to M triple C and they're like, Oh, you've got a, uh, 
you've got you know priority of fires for this phase of the operation, and your company has handheld mortars. And you're like, that's it? Oh, that that's too easy. Yeah, I, my plan's already done. Here you go. Like, and they're submitting. It. They're like, wait, wait, did you do the? Like, have you you know gotten your symphony of destruction? Like, yeah, dude, you're giving me something that like I had you know uh, three times as many uh, you know support assets uh, on a single platoon mission in Afghanistan. Like, I'm good. Like, next. And so that was like something that was really, again, it, you just feel very privileged that you get that opportunity. And it, you're like 26 when you're there as a platoon leader and you're doing some like really great operations, not only for um, the 75th Range Regiment, the special operations uh, elements, but, you know, for the army and the missions that's going on there for, you know, the country. It's like it's really humbling at the end of the day getting to look back and be like, I cherish that time in the 75th. Like I cherish the lessons I've learned from my Rangers. And it's like something that really spills over into what we try to do here at Cronus. But it's just like, just make something better and just try to improve it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely with you on that. Um, anything else you want to talk about with uh, being Ranger PL? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I say you don't have as much face time with your company commander, battalion commander, so don't expect it. Um, you know, in the regular army, uh, every single morning we'd have uh, like a 6 a.m. meeting um, where it's kind of almost like checking in to make sure the platoons were doing the right thing for the day. Uh, I might have seen my company commander maybe once a day, if that, just passing in the hallway. Um, I think I saw my battalion commander maybe once or twice a month, if that. Uh, cause you'd have companies going all over the place to do all sorts of cool training. So like the expectation is you are working in isolation with your platoon sergeant and your squad leaders and like you're getting the task done. And unless you need to get something, request something like you'll go talk to the XO first who, you know, in the regular army, in the conventional army, like, you know, you get the XO position. It's kind of almost like, uh, like obligatory at some point for for guys uh, in the range regiment, the individuals that have chosen to be XOs uh, are the best of the best in that entire organization. So you know, just think about it. Like you know, a fifth of the guys that are there uh, are going to be picked at some point in your stint to be XOs, and you know they could go be company commanders literally the next day and run with that and be completely competent. And, and able to do so in the range regiment. I'm not talking just regular army. Every single platoon leader in the range regiment could take over a company in the regular army the next day and be successful. But these XOs could do it at that next level if necessary. And it's just that that should be like one of your best friends to make sure you're doing everything right. Before you send a con op in, check with the XO. Because the last thing you want is that company commander to come down on the XO's throat and be like, why didn't you vet this? This is dog shit. Like, and just expect that when you make a mistake, like, it's going to feel like you, you got a hammer coming down on the top of your head, but you won't make that mistake again. Yeah, I was like, uh, definitely that's something that I noticed with a lot of the Ranger PLs is that um, it was like they were playing chess a lot of the time, especially with training and being able to manage assets. Like as an FSL, my job was pretty straightforward. I would just, you know, have when assets came on station, I tell the commander and then push them down to a platoon and have the FO take over. And it's pretty much me just monitoring the nets and being able to kind of manage our assets for the commander to, so that the commander didn't have to manage the assets, you know. But, like, the PLs, like, PLs have to do everything, uh, managing the assets, syn- coordinating, synchronizing, fires, maneuvering elements, and everything. So, like, that's one thing that I came to really appreciate 
as a kind of a third party observer is the, how PLs, what separated in my mind the good PLs from the best PLs was their ability to synthesize and um, kind of manage all that information. Because like you said, it's like drinking from a fire hose. It's like inform- it's like sensory and information overload uh, every time you do like a training mission or just a mission in general. And the best PLs that I noticed were the ones that are able to take that information and act decisively and doctrinally uh, to support yeah. their mission. And then it was just like, it was really cool because uh, being as an FSL, I was there for two training cycles. So I got to see, I guess, six different uh, PLs throughout their time. It was just really cool being able to see like who did what very well and who was able to you know distinguish themselves from their peers, and being able to be, kind of watch the PLs and the platoon sergeant like their interactions and seeing how uh, the PLs like interact with the platoons and all the other stuff it was really interesting as an FSO. And then uh, just being an FSO and range regiment was fucking awesome. Like um, we did so many uh, training exercises. Um, like because I mean. Like it's different for the infantry platoons because you know you can do most of your training on uh, on post with the ranges and what have you, but for fires guys, you know we have to go work with the assets. So we would do probably like once a month we would go off post training and go somewhere else and go work with assets. And it was um, it was a great experience for me being able to learn how to liaise with different assets and different organizations. And then I'll say that. Um, I think the thing that I'm most proud of as an FSO wasn't anything that I did uh, with like uh, like with the company, but it was like more so uh, how I was able to, to support my company. Um, like as FSO, I was pretty much essentially the extra officer, the extra planner, because the you know, platoons at the uh, PLs had to plan for their platoon ranges and platoon training. But then, you know, the company commander is not going to plan for company level training because he's got other shit that he has to do too. So all the company level training fell to me uh, to plan, and the XO has helped certainly, but the XO also has to do the XO duties. Yeah. Um, so I was the kind of the primary company planner for pretty much any of our company level training events uh, outside of battalion level. I just remember in Korea, we did a train deployment to Korea, um, and then we had a force on force mod that our company commander wanted to do. So I was the primary planner for that, and then. Um, Pretty much it was three days of missions, nine nine day missions. So guys were getting like uh, two missions a day. So essentially trying to simulate like combat and getting like two missions a day. And then one platoon would get fragged on their second mission and go out for a, th- a follow on mission. And it was like just literally me planning this entire thing. It was like, tw- it ended up being something like uh, three platoons over three days six mission i think they were doing like it was like 30 something missions that i was planning um with objectives with target packets with you know synchronizing aviation assets synchronizing support so it was just like i came to really appreciate um kind of the detail and planning that goes into a training event and i'll say that's probably you know you're saying that you get nightmares of you know getting indexed. I have nightmares of having to plan another, <laughs> having to plan an exercise like that again because it was I was that was the most stressful that I've ever been um, was planning uh, and being able to support this mission because you know if I failed then the entire company failed and nobody would get good training out of it and it was just uh, it was a great experience for me and like uh, after that just like pretty much planning anything for me is pretty straightforward at this point. Oh, it's great. I mean, like. And, and two, when I got there, uh, I had to plan the squad live fire um, for the company. And, you know, when you, when you see your battalion commander or the S3, the XO, like, you're like, okay, like, 
that dude wants to make sure that, you know, I'm squared away. I would say the person I was more intimidated by would be, you know, one of the sergeants major uh, that was at the battalion. Like, the majority of them had mustard stains, like, just salty, jacked, still, like, would love to just be a rifleman at that point, like, and just get after it again. And when they would come around and they would ask you about, like, hey, the squad life fair, what, what weapon systems have you incorporated? You'd be like, you know, one, two, three, four, five, and you'd be like, okay, well, that's not good enough. Like, you know, we should do this too. Have you considered this for the Rangers? Like, that's a weapon system that I'm sure they're going to see in the future. Like, we should incorporate that. And then, you know, like, so learning all of these, you know, really getting into that arms room and seeing, like, okay, what's something in here that we should use in the future? And, like, talking to the first sergeant, be like, all right, we got to get this, you know, incorporated because this is important for training. And the one thing that I would say is, like, a lot different, which is really weird. Like, I had a ton of great moments uh, as a platoon leader. Like, great great times I can't remember those as much as I can like just those like literally a handful of times where you're like you didn't perform badly you just did not perform to like the level that was expected of you like the one report I sent in when uh, I was in the jock to a company commander on a, on a post mission uh, recap forum and then the, the TFT where we got indexed like Two times. Those two things are like my biggest regrets and my biggest memories while I like of all things I did in the military. But then I look back at Ranger School, I can't think of any real bad times at Ranger School, even though I knew I hated every single day of it. I can only remember like, you know, just bullshitting with my friends and like, you know, having a go at it and being like, Oh yeah, Mount Yona, whatever. Like I fucking hated that place. But like it's just it's so weird how completely opposite my recollection is of like going through Ranger School and then being in Ranger Regiment. It's like phenomenal times on missions like there was one where we you know we had goat we had duck because we had to remain over day on like a couple day operation like that was like an awesome like you know working with these afghans who made a meal for us in the middle of nowhere i don't remember quite as many details as walking at fort campbell and just seeing my battalion commander just staring at me like this through nods and being like well uh i guess i'll pcs like this has been great like it's just it's weird. It's a weird, uh, weird dynamic. But I, lo- I loved it. Like I would, I'd go back in a heartbeat. If you if you asked me to just be like a staff officer there, and uh, you know just shine coins that he would hand out after training, I'd volunteer for it every single day. Yeah, that's true. I do remember all the times like I got fucked down by like the company commanders or field grades. Um, yeah, I'll never forget getting fucked down. Those are always. I don't remember like you said a lot of the great stuff like the good memories i do remember a lot of the times where i got real fucked down and they were never like like screamed at or yelled at fuck downs they're like hey you fucked up don't do that again i'm like oh yeah no and like and and it's not like a even like a real life scenario like i i've gone on missions uh when i was in the conventional army and like the ANP AUP were taking too long to get ready to to go out on mission with us, fully knowing that the expectation is every single American force that went out had to be partnered with the Afghans. American forces could not go in compounds without Afghan support. And like we got into a tick one time, I didn't have Afghans with me. I'm I'm sitting there like like we're getting you know we've got Dishka, we've got recoilers coming at us, and I'm just like my 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 thought process at that point was. All right, we're, we're going to get rid of these guys. We're going to have to go clear these compounds. Fuck, I don't have Afghans with me. Like, this is a huge problem. And my commander showed up and was like, 
they don't show up sometimes, you still have to go out on mission. Like, we can't help it. Like, you make one, like, I have the wrong platoon listed on a mission, you know, back brief, and that's, like, the end of the world. Like, it's, like, the severity is totally not representative of, like, you know, the the stress that I should have had. And it was just, like, you know, that, that I, I think it's just a... It goes down to like what the expectations are, and you, you just have to expect uh, much higher levels of uh, attention to detail and standards when you get to the Ranger Regiment, and hope that carries forward, you know, the rest of your military career. Yeah, so like the once for me, that one time that I won't forget was uh, we were doing a company or platoon live fire, and we had some big army artillery units supporting us, and they could not get their shit together, and I was like losing my shit, not on the net because I'm all you know I'm try to be very you know you're supposed to be calm and collected on the net but i'll be like okay whatever i like just talk on the net like normally and then when i would key off I'd be like these motherfuckers would like lose my shit and this was in front of the s3 who uh i think is a battalion commander right now at 375 and just him uh just, like after that event was just like took me to the side i was like you can't do that ever again and i was like oh fuck and that was that will never i'll never and then it's just like i always like the ones that the fuck downs that I remember are always the very calm ones where they are emotional. Oh, I've not been, I was never yelled at by a single person the entire time I was there. It was always just like me talking to you right now. That's how like I'm disappointed in you. Yeah. And that's like, like, like the one. Oh. Yeah. And that's like, yeah, yeah but I, I, I do have to say like, I've seen some like, you know, a fair share of fuck downs where people did yell and elevate their voices and like I said, like when you meet somebody on the street that, you know, angers you or they scuff your pumas, like, you know, like there's, you can turn up that knob. Um, last story is, is my first, I had to plan the company live fire uh, for my brigade, uh, you know, before they went to Afghanistan. And I had a company commander show up and this guy had been a company commander for a year, show up to the talk and ask for imagery for the objective, uh, ask for maps um, and ask for a physical copy of the order, like all of which had been sent out weeks before to all of the battalions. It's this guy line. didn't go. Yeah, th- this guy didn't go to his battalion talk first to look for this. He just decided to stroll into brigade. And I'm sitting there. The S3 is there. And he's like, hey, uh, like, I need this product. And I'm like, I'm a little angered at this point. Like, OK, like, how do you show up to a, a company live fire that is supposed to certify you to go to Afghanistan and not have this product, whatever. So, like, I print them out some maps. I'm like, this guy, like, idiot. Uh, second later, like, I see him walk over uh, to the specialist that's sitting at the RTO desk. He's like, hey, can you print me out a copy of the order? And um, at this point, I'm like, what did you say? And he's like, I just wanted a copy of the order. And I, I lost my shit. I was like, how are you showing up to the company live fire without the fucking order? Something that's already supposed to have been briefed to your entire company. Why don't you have the order? And why do you need six copies of it? Like, do you not know how this goes? Company, battalion, brigade? Like, if the brigade commander was here, would you feel confident enough coming up here, just going straight bypassing every other chain of command just to look for the fucking order that was promulgated weeks ago that you had to back brief him on before you even set foot in here? Like, how are you so fucked up? And he's like, you need to calm down. And I was like, 
Like at that point it was like, I'm seeing red, like don't fucking tell me to calm down. Like this is like a life or death training event. Like this is supposed to replicate. Cause I tried to make it just like the company live fire that I had in range regiment. I was like, everything was like almost exactly like, it was like, if you fuck up one thing on there, someone could die. Like that is a level of training and seriousness that like is built into this training event. How do you not understand that? And how are you so casually fucked up? Like you don't even look at all like you're embarrassed that you have to come up here and ask for something. Get the fuck out. And he's just like, are you not giving me that? I was like, no, get the fuck out of the talk. And he leaves and my battalion, my brigade S3 was just like, yeah, that dude was fucked up. I was like, <laughs> like what the fuck? Like I was, I was, oh, I, it, it, it makes me irate to this day. Cause it's like, you have such a level of responsibility as a company commander. Like your guys have to trust you. And you don't like, and so like, that's the one of the things that I took from range regiment was like, if I have to blow up on somebody, I'm going to do it the exact way that I saw some of these rangers do it. Cause they did it better than anyone else. Like there's the, I'm disappointed. And then there's the, you're going to die. Yeah. I will. <laughs> as soon as I see an NCO start raising his voice, I'm like, all right, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to head off the back. Uh, later guys. See you at PT tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> Make sure they make sure they drink water. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, but yeah, I think we should uh, we'll start wrapping this up uh, before we get real deep into the storytelling. Yeah, uh, sorry for the stories, uh, but um, yeah, I hope that answered some of the questions uh, that you all have, have, have sent to us for life as a ranger PL. Um, you know, probably wasn't as detailed as, as some of you would have liked. Um, just understanding that. You know, uh, neither Bobby nor I are going to talk in that level ever uh, about what it's like being in the organization. If you want to be there, if you want to serve there, drop a packet and find out yourself. Um, but, you know, there's again, there's that expectation of uh, the quiet professional. And, you know, here, here's an insight to, I guess, being a general platoon leader in every formation that, you know, you can take things away from it and, and, you know, try to improve yourself. Yeah. I think the big takeaways are to be you know, always be value added, uh, to your organization or to whatever it is, be value added, never be, uh, value detracted, you know, always shop every day, making sure that you're trying to make yourself and the organization better earning it every day. Um, never taking, uh, or accepting or falling down to the level of expectations, but rising above the expectations, I think are all good takeaways that you can get away from this, uh, this episode. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, with the, oh actually let me let should I read some reviews that we've got some reviews now oh yeah since uh we haven't done this in a while uh we got actually a bunch of reviews from uh on our on the iTunes uh that I did not notice we've got in May um from Ross Kalen quote worth a listen knowledgeable yet humble dudes to provide a unique insight into life and leadership thanks brother. Thank you. That. We have DJ09. Sean and Bobby are by far the best duo on the podcast library. They combine the aspects of fitness and mental preparation into the military environment. Anyone that's looking for the extra edge to succeed, Chronos Fit is a podcast to go to. Thank you for all that you do. That's very nice. And Ohio Goalie 35. Whether you're an Army Ranger or brand new pulley in the United States Marine Corps or anything else in between, the content in these podcasts is 100% worth your time. Excellent information that is delivered without any of the political BS that kills other shows. 
I will say that maybe the last couple episodes. Of- <laughs> yeah, I was a little snowflakey the last couple shows. And then it continues. An effective service member is a well-rounded service member. And these guys bring it with the best of combining fitness, health and wellness, current events, and other tidbits of life advice. So we appreciate it, guys. Um, we know we love hearing stories of guys, of you guys who have, you know, have gone out and crushed it, who have gotten that, you know, gotten that past that selection, past RASP, you know, moved on to the next step. Uh, we really appreciate you guys, you know, get, uh, letting us know about it because it makes it worthwhile for us if hearing that you guys uh, are succeeding in life because of yeah, 100%. Our, our small contributions because at the end of the day you know we don't really provide that much you know you still get it's you guys that are going out and putting the effort in putting in the sweat putting in the 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 dedication to succeeding and getting to your goals and if we're able to help facilitate in whatever way that we can you know more than happy to help yeah absolutely keep reaching out and asking questions and we'll, we'll try to answer them the best of our abilities and uh with that uh my other announcement is uh hoping to get the new logo and rebranding out by the end of the month uh i'm still waiting to hear back from a local uh, screen printer so i'm kind of trying to synchronize having the new apparel come out with the new logo so we can have a break like a big release but uh more to follow on that so stay tuned uh we're trying to do some stuff behind the scenes on getting some new apparel and some new swag rolled out uh figuring out a brand new supply chain uh but that's uh, on the back end and behind the curtains that you guys don't really necessarily worry about. Just apologies on kind of the delay in getting it settled and getting out to you guys. All right. Well, Bobby, I will, uh, I'll talk to you. I'm sure like immediately after this and just catch up some more, but, um, we'll be back next week for another round of military topics and, uh, you know, getting after fitness. Absolutely. Until next time, guys. Later. Peace.